This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. are so good at dividing people by by race, by color, by language, by culture, by what country, by political parties. We are so good with that. And we get so caught up in that. But with God, He doesn't look at what political party you're in. He doesn't look at what color you are. He doesn't look at what language you speak. He doesn't look at anything. He doesn't care if you're Baptist or Pentecostal. There are two people that God looks at. They're the saved and they're the unsaved. No matter how hard the world tries to unite mankind, there seems to be an ever-present force of division and strife. Whether it's social policies or extreme legislation, the biggest obstacle to perfect unity is none other than the heart of man. In today's message, Pastor Eddie teaches us about one of the most amazing and unifying aspects of the gospel message. In our study, we are reminded that no matter what our background, race, or history might be, we are all one in Christ and viewed equally by God. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in Romans chapter 6 for today's edition of Running the Race. Here's where we left off last week in verse 14. He said, For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. We're not under the law, we're under grace. And so sin shall not have dominion over you. The word dominion in the Greek is curio, which means to master over you. So don't let sin master over you. Remember, the more you give into sin, the more you feed it over and over again, the more power it has. You're not under the law, but under grace. When it comes to the law, the law, the set of regulation God has given Moses that identifies sin, but here's the thing, it does not overcome it. The law cannot overcome sin. It just tells you that this is wrong. That's wrong. That's what the law does. But here's the difference. Here's grace. Grace, on the other hand, is God's unmerited favor and his empowering presence to overcome sin. So that's why he said, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. We have the grace of God. And it's not for us to take advantage, but it's to say that, you know what? I mess up. I'm trying really hard. The grace of God. The grace of God. And so now, remember, he opened up chapter 6, verses 1 and 2 with a question. Again, here in verse 15, he's going to ask a question. He said, verse 15, what then shall we sin because we are not under the law? But under grace, that's the question. Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? The word under here in the Greek is hupo. We spell it hypo, H-Y-P-O. It's hupo, which it's a military term. It's a military term. It means to be under authority, under the power of someone else. So you don't want to be under the power, under the authority, or under sin, the law, I'm, I'm sorry, but under grace. So we are not under the law, under the power of sin, but under the power of grace. Now, we know that the law 
was never given for us to fulfill. It's impossible to fill number one. Thou shalt have no other gods before us. How many gods do we have? Oh, name a few. Cell phone, Facebook, cars, sports, you name it. <laughs> there are so many gods in front of us. We say, oh, it's not a God. Yes, it is a God. <laughs> By a biblical definition, <laughs> you know, you ask God yourself personally, you'll find out. <laughs> We have so many gods. So the law was there to show man how sinful he or she is truly is, how sinful we are. And so it shows that where he or she falls short of God's glorious standard. God has a standard. And here's the standard, the law, the Ten Commandments. However, when we put our faith and trust in Christ, we have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and personal Savior we who have been set free from the law, we are not under the law, but under grace. We've been set free from that. We're not under the law. We're under grace. We're under grace. And so what does it mean for us as Christians to be free from the law? When, when someone asks you, okay, you're, you're Christian. What's, this, what's this, uh, this teaching, this theology that you're free from the law? What does that mean? You already know part of it, but let's go, let's elaborate a little bit on it. It it means because of Christ, we are no longer judged by the law. There is no condemnation because we've been forgiven. We have been set free from the law. On the other hand, if we have not accepted Christ, if one has not accepted Christ or Lord as, as Christ as Lord and personal Savior, then you're not free from the law. Why is that? Because if you're not set free from the law, the law is still there, revealing and exposing your sins. It's revealing and exposing your sins. One who has not accepted Christ, if you put that person up against the law, the sins are being revealed and exposed. This is before the cross. But when we give our lives to the, to, to the Lord, he doesn't see the law. He sees grace. You see, there are two kinds of people to God. When God looks down from heaven and he looks here on earth, there are two kinds of people. And we, we, have, we are so good at dividing people by, by race, by color, by language, by culture, by what country, by political parties. We are so good with that. And we get so caught up in that. But with God, he doesn't look at what political party you're in. He doesn't look at what color you are. He doesn't look at what language you speak. He doesn't look at anything. He doesn't care if you're Baptist or Pentecostal. There are two people that God looks at. They're the saved and they're the unsaved. Those that are righteous and those that are unrighteous. And so when God sees one who is who has not accepted his son, Jesus Christ, as Lord and personal Savior, what he sees is the law. Because the law is exposing his sin. That's what God sees. He sees that the one who is under the law, one who cannot keep up with the law. But when God sees one who accepted his son as Lord and person of Savior, he doesn't see the law. He sees his son. He sees grace. That's what he sees. So there's two people in this world. They're not two, there's, no, there's not three or four. Don't listen to what anybody tells you. You're either saved or you're not. You're either a saint or you ain't. One of the two. There's no between ground. You're either going to heaven or you're going to hell. People just, oh, there's gray. There's no gray. Gray would not exist without black and white. So let's get rid of gray, okay? It's either or. And so people want to add more. So this is what God looks at. So we're not under the law. So Christians, this is, why, this is what it means 
You are not under the law because you're under grace. There is a difference. And so if you have not, have not accepted Christ as Lord and personal Savior, it's not too late. It's not too late for you to surrender your life to Christ. It is not too late for you to accept him as Lord and personal Savior. It's not too late for you to have a relationship with God. It is not too late. When now there is no condemnation that you can now put on righteousness, not our righteousness, but his righteousness. It's not too late. There's only two people. Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 36, therefore, if the son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. And free from what? Free from the law. You want to be free from the law? Jesus Christ is the only way. The only way. And if you want God to see you as one that is saved, then Except Christ. And so, saints, that's what it means to be free from the law. We're not under the law, but we're under grace. And so Paul answers his question in verse 15. He said, what then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law but under grace? Certainly not. That means perish the thought, away with the notion, or cost not. Verse 16, he says, do you not know to whom you present yourself slaves to obey? You are that one's slave whom you obey, whether of sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. Now, sin has a tendency to enslave the sinner. And so when one sin, one practice a particular sin, any sin, you could fill in the blank. For the first time we commit that sin, okay, we start, we, we start to feel a little bit terrified. We committed a sin. We're terrified. The second time around uh, may not be such as, so as terrified as we was the first time we committed the sin. Come the third time around, it becomes more and more natural. It becomes easy. It becomes second nature. And so we practice this sin. We fall into sin. And now we are a slave to that sin. We're a slave to sin because we give in to that sin. And so now in verses 15 to 23, for the remainder of the chapter, Paul is going to give us practical, a practical illustration of slavery. Now, understanding that Paul is writing to believers in Rome. At this time in Rome, there are over 60 million slaves. 60 million slaves. There were more slaves than there were citizens during this time in Rome. Because when Rome would conquer, they would take over, they'd make them slaves. Or in those days, it wasn't slave as the bondage that we think of as slave as a servant. Uh, doctors were considered slaves because they served a master. And so the, the, the understanding of slavery, they will understand this. Slaves during that time were looked upon as pieces of property. And so Paul knows that they understand this, this concept of slavery, And he's going to use that as an illustration to illustrate how sin could keep us and enslave us. And so he's going to use that illustration. So, you know, here it is. Every one of us here is a slave to someone or something. Every single one of us in this room. There's not one person in this room this morning that's not a slave to something. Every single one of us. How could you know 
who is or what is it that we are slave to? Who's your master? Or as we say in today, who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Your master is the one you obey. That's your master, the one you obey. In other words, if I give myself as a slave to God, then what am I? Then I am a slave to God. If I bowed before God, that makes me a slave. I worship him. I obey him. I am a slave to God. However, on the other hand, if I give myself to sin, then it's obviously that I'll make myself a slave to sin. Now, he's, he's got their attention. He, they understand it. It's the same way when Jesus spoke in parables. He spoke in parables because they could understand. These are earthly stories with a heavenly message. And what happens is, like when he speaks about the sower, the farm, and the seed, you know, they, they were farmers. They know about farming and planting seeds. Jesus used that as an illustration. Paul is using slavery as an illustration. You are a slave to whatever you obey. When Paul opened up the letter of Rome, this letter, when he first opened up the letter, how did he identify himself in this letter in the book of Romans? In verse 1, in chapter 1, verse 1, Paul says, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ. A bond servant of Jesus Christ. Now, a bond servant is a willingly slave. Is, it is one that in, in, in the Old Testament, they would have actually get an earring. They would pierce the ear in the left ear. They would pierce the ear. After six years of serving their master, they say, you know what? I love my master. I love the benefits. I love the 401k plan. He's really good to me. I love him. I have the freedom to walk away after six years, but I want to stay with him. Then he would go to the priest, and they would take his ear and take what they call like a, a, a nice pick or a scra- what they call an owl, and they would pierce his ear on the doorpost of that house, and they would put a ring here. So in, when you saw slaves in those days with earrings, going back to the Old Testament times, and even during this time in Rome, he said, that's a willing slave. He, has every, he had every right to give up, but he's willingly, he, he decided to stay with his master. That's what a bond servant is. And Paul said, I'm a bond servant. The Greek word is doulos. I'm a doulos for God. I'm a servant. I'm a slave to God. I serve him. I don't serve sin. I serve God. We find this in some of his epistles. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul opens up Philippians. says, Paul and Timothy, bond servant of Jesus Christ. Titus, he wrote to Titus. He opens up that letter too. Chapter 1, verse 1, Paul, a bond servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ. Paul is not the only one. This, this thing of being a bond servant to our God, to be a slave to our God, was known throughout all Christendom. Even Jesus' half-brothers who wrote their letters. We have James, the half-brother of Jesus. James opened up his letter. In James chapter 1, verse 1, James, a bond servant of God. And of the Lord Jesus Christ. He didn't say, I'm the brother of Jesus. Check it out. Better listen to what? Read my letter. No, he humbled himself. Jude, the other half brother of Jesus. Jude chapter 1 verse 1. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, the brother of James. You see, saints, this is who we are to be a slave to. This is why this is the new life you have in Christ. You're to be a slave, a servant to Jesus Christ. A bondservant. A willingly slave. Christ is not forcing you. God isn't forced. We have this thing called free will, right? Free will is great, but sometimes I'm like saying, Lord, please take my will away because I can't control myself. You know, it's a good thing to free will 
And there's a bad side to it because you wish, Lord, just force me to pray, force me to go to church, force me to read the Bible, but you have free will. Paul writes in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, he says, Do I not persuade man or God, or do I seek to please man? I love this. For if I still please men, then I, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. I would not be a bondservant. If I'm pleasing man, I'm a servant to man. I want to please people. I want to please the world. No, I don't want to please the world. I want to please the Lord. And so Paul was a slave, a bondservant, and he has been enslaved. He has enslaved himself to Christ. You and I, when we gave our life to the Lord, we are no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves, bondservants to Jesus Christ. But there is one who set the greatest example of being a bondservant, even calls himself a bondservant, even is a bondservant according to the word of God. His name is Jesus Christ. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 and 7, Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a what? Bondservant, and coming in the likeness of man. He was a servant to the Father. During his earthly ministry, he set the example. You want to know what it is to be a servant, a slave to God? Learn from Jesus. We have four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, to show us how to do that. We have his disciples. We have the apostles. They open up their letter. They identify themselves first. I am a bondservant. Then he just say, hey, it's me, Paul. Here's what I have to say. No, before I get to what I have to say, I want you to know I'm a bondservant. And it's not only for the world to know, but it's for you to know. It's for you to know that you're a slave to whom you obey. Who do you obey? Sin or God? What is your master in life? You can only answer that question yourself between you and the Lord. Is it sexual sin, sexual immorality? Is it drugs? Is it alcohol? Is it money? Or it could be things that, you know, we say is not a sin, but is a sin that these things that we put before God. And what do we put before God? Sports, our jobs, cell phones, Facebook, material things. Being a slave to sin will lead to death. Being a slave to obedience leads to righteousness. It's one or the other. It can't be two. It can't be two. You can't serve two masters. You can't serve two masters. The enemy's going to lie to you. He's going to say, well, you know, you could serve God and you could serve me too if you want to. Oh, he loves that because, you know, you're going to have to obey one or the other. Or you're going to obey one more than the other. He has no problem sharing you. Because if he shares you, he has you. Period. Bottom line. However, the enemy may want, has no problem with sharing you. God has a problem with that. God has a problem with that. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 verse 24. He says, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You know, we're betrothed to Christ, the church of Jesus Christ made up of believers, the universal body of Christ, not just this body here, Calvary Chapel of Milford, but the universal body of Christ, every church that professes Jesus Christ, that believes in Jesus Christ, that surrendered their lives, are part of the body of Christ. We are betrothed to him. We are the bride of Christ, and Christ is not going to share his bride with any other. 
And so we need to examine our lives when it comes to sin or any particular sin. Are we a slave to that sin? Are we a slave to God? And so this is why we need to examine lives. We need to be careful of what's dominating over us, what's mastering over us. Are we going to obey God, our commander-in-chief, Jesus Christ, in obedience? We're, we're under grace, and that, that uh, obeying Christ that leads to righteousness, or we're going to obey the enemy, the flesh, the world, which leads to death. Verse 17, but God be thanked. That though you were slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that formed of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. Thanks be to God. And I love when it says, but thank be to God. Here is the turning point. One time you were a slave to sin, but thank be to God that you obeyed with your heart. The Holy Spirit brought you to the cross. The Holy Spirit tells you, listen, Christ is here. You're empty. There's a void in your life and only Christ can fill it. You obeyed in your heart and, and, you, and you obeyed with your heart. That's why it's a free will. God doesn't force you. He knocked at your heart and you let him in. You obeyed with your heart. We are no longer slaves to sin, but now we're slaves of righteousness. Before Christ, and he says, I like when he says, but God be thanked. You believed, you obey that form of doctrine. Doctrine means a teaching, an instruction. And what is the doctrine that Paul is talking about here? What is the doctrine referring? Because there's several, many actually doctrines all around. But what is this doctrine? The doctrine of what? Grace, what we've been talking about. You understand the doctrine of grace. You know that you're not under the law anymore, but you're under grace. You know you can't be saved by works, but you're saved by grace. You know it's not something you did or can do, but you know it's God's grace. Philippians chapter 2, we're saved by grace. For you know, take as your students uh, outlining our text this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verse 89, we are saved by grace, not by works, lest we should boast. That's how we say, but you believe that. And you say, praise God, your heart believed that doctrine. Many people don't believe in that doctrine. It's just emotional feeling and experiences. I, I, I was able to, my wife and I were able to meet a young uh, woman and she gave her life to the Lord. And she wasn't convinced because you know, a while ago she was just told, just say this prayer. We're not saved by a sinner's prayer. <laughs> You're saved by a repentant heart. You can say a prayer, you know, it's like hocus pocus, you know, just because you say something doesn't mean you have to it has to be of the heart. It has to be sincere of the heart. I'm The book of Romans gives us a unique review of scriptural doctrine. As we continue to learn from this New Testament book, we'll also discover the gospel's powerful message throughout and discover practical life application with it as well. We pray Eddie's message on running the race has been an encouragement to you and that you're eager to learn more about the gospel message and how it applies to you. We'd like you to know that we pray for you regularly here at Running the Race, and we're so glad that you are one of our listeners. We'd also like to encourage you to find a local church where you can be part of a community that's growing together in faith. With that in mind, 
Here's Tracy. Maybe you're listening right now in Milford, Pennsylvania, and you don't have a home church. We want to take this time to invite you to join us for worship. We meet Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. and every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. For more information, call us at 570-296-7367. That's 570-296-7367. Or log on to runningtheraceradio.com and click on Service Times. Thanks, Tracy. That website, once again, is runningtheraceradio.com. While you're there, you can also listen to more messages by Eddie or download them to take with you on the go. That's all we have for today, but join us again for more on the Book of Romans right here on Running the Race. I'm